Okay, anyway, if you're going to uh, follow along, you can follow along on the back of your bulletin if you want to listen, or you can pull out your Bible, but it might be a different uh, version. So maybe best just to follow along with this. Jeremiah uh, chapter 9, <clears throat> 23. Uh, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I, del- I delight, declares the Lord. First John 3, and I won't sing it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. First John 4, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might have life through him or live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really good to be home. We were gone for a couple of weeks, and um, I think we went through about 13 states and over 5,000 miles visiting family in Missouri and then Washington State and then back home. And... Um, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful place to come home to, and um, we're excited to be back. Uh, for the next few weeks, we will be looking at a short series uh, from Jeremiah chapter 9, and looking at these verses, 23 through 24, and looking at what God is like, looking at the attributes of God, and how do we form attitudes, how do we form our thoughts about who God is, the book of Jeremiah was a time that was chaotic. It was a fractured time. Um, different nations were trying to overthrow Israel. Israel had split in two. If, um, if you recall, or maybe you don't know, um, Israel had split in two, and then God would call men to speak to the nation, to either Israel or Judah, and call on them to return to God. And let me just give you one short verse. This is from Jeremiah chapter 44 and to give you an idea of what was going on during this time period when Jeremiah was living. And it says this, As for the message you have spoken to us, that's referring to what Jeremiah was saying, As for the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you, but rather we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, our princes did in the cities of Judah. So it was a very chaotic time, very similar to the time that we live in. Strong opinions about a variety of different things. And we want to look at the idea of how do we form an understanding of God? How do we understand who God is? What is he like? What is his nature like? One of the foundational principles that we would hold very highly here at the gathering is this is that God has spoken to it, that God speaks to us through his word, giving us an opportunity to know him, to understand him, 
And he asks us to respond by trusting in him, to following him, to submitting to him, to serving him. And so as we learn about what God is like from the book of Jeremiah and other places, we'll understand some really important things. And if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 23. And there's one word that's repeated many, many times, and you'll probably be able to identify it. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast. Let not the mighty man boast. Let not the rich man boast. Boast is repeated over and over and over again. And what's interesting about that word is that it's a Hebrew word that most of you already know. And it is the word hallel, which we get the word hallelujah. So what it's saying here is um, glorify, don't glorify, don't praise, don't look for these things to provide stability or security in your lives. And these are things that, that we look to to bring comfort, to bring stability in our lives. And in a fractured culture, just like the time of Jeremiah, like we have today, we're looking for things to give us that, to give us peace, to give us security, to give us hope. And what happens is sometimes we want things so bad, we want them desperately in our lives. And what Jeremiah is teaching us here about God is that we are not to look for these other things, to look for the things of the world to look for wisdom. And that is this. That is that you understand how to live life. That you are wise in your own eyes. You know how to live it. You know how to make the right decisions. And Jeremiah is saying, let that not be. Don't find your identity. Don't think that way about yourself. It must come from your relationship with God. It can be very easy for us to be overconfident, very sure about the things that we know and we want. And sometimes even God gives us the things that we think we want so bad. And then once we get them, we find out again the emptiness of those things. I'll tell you a quick story from our trip. One of the things that, um, one of the things that I did in Missouri is we'd wake up really early in the morning. By the way, Missouri is, um, this time of year, unbelievably hot. I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. So we'd wake up early and go for our bike rides. And... Um, there's a small town out in the middle of Missouri called Odessa, just a really fun small town. So one morning, Finn and I woke up early and uh, went to Odessa, and they have what I think is kind of all over the country now, and they, they call it um, tr- rails to trails, where they pull up train tracks and turn them into mountain biking paths or running paths or those kinds of things. So you can walk or mountain bike from Odessa, Missouri to St. Louis, Missouri. It's a couple hundred miles. So uh, I said, Finn, come on, let's go do something, have some fun. And so we started on our little bike ride. And uh, one of the things we find early on is, um, and again, most of you maybe might not know what this is, but one of the things that I've always wanted to find from the time I was a little kid was on top of old power poles. They had glass, they're antiques now, but they're glass, I think what they're called is glass insulators. Really cool, uh, different colors of glass. Anyone have any idea what I'm talking about? A few of you? Okay, thank you, good. If you're, so if you're younger, really cool, if you like glass, like collecting beach glass, but what happens is they're really hard to find. So even when I was a kid in the 80s, I'd see people that had collected them, and I'm like, man, those are so cool, I really want one. So Finn and I were riding our bikes, I, we find one. And I'm like, I was like, stop, skid. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, like, okay, I'm 45 years old. I wanted one for like 30 years. I'm like, stop, there's one. 
And it was kind of a classic thing if you, I don't know, I'm out, outdoors a fair amount. So we're up on the trail, and if you look to the left where the power lines were, it was literally about head high. So it looked like you could just walk over, reach up, and take it. Well, obviously that wasn't the case. So you, the trail, or the, there was a ditch there. And so I was like, Finn, we're getting this thing. And then I get closer, and it actually turned out that it was cracked. And I meant to bring this morning to show it to you, but I'll, I'll bring it again. So what, we're getting it fine, and we got it. And um, a couple days later, I had a, a, an itch. And uh, what I found out, and we were in, in a, a tiny little town in Thermopolis, Wyoming, a uh, population of about 2,500 people, that, that we had just waded through a grove of poison ivy. <laughs> we had no idea what I'd gotten myself into. And it, it was just the worst. And um, uh, it, it, was, it was a nightmare. And uh, Finn summed it up this way. He said, Dad, because we both got it. Finn, he said, Dad, one minute during the night felt like an hour. Because you're just up all night scratching yourself. And, and um, so it, it turned out to be a nightmare. But my point is this. Nothing was going to stop me from getting that thing. Like, it's something I'd wanted forever. And then I got it, and now I like, want to curse it and throw it in the trash. <laughs> and what happens in life, these things we want so bad. We, we, we want things to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to give us peace, to give us joy. But what happens is often is that our lives become completely unraveled when we pursue these things that we think are going to give us happiness. And Jeremiah says there is a way, and that is understanding and knowing God. And that's what we want to look at for the next few weeks, that we want to understand what God is like. We want to understand his nature. And here's what he says. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And that's the question for us. Do we, as a church family, do we understand and know God? Are there so many things that preoccupy our lives, our time, the things we think about, the things we dwell on, the things we get upset about, and Jeremiah says this, understand and know the living God. And here's what he is like according to Jeremiah. He says, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And so what we'll do this morning is we'll look, number one, at steadfast love. And then the following weeks, we will look at the justice of God and the righteousness of God. And so this morning, uh, we'll look at the love of God and what I want to share with you this morning is that to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is that you are willing to receive God's love that is unconditionally committed to your well-being. That's, that's what God is like. That's who he is, that you receive that love. And Just think about this for a moment. And I... I thought about this for the last several days, and like it is so hard to allow this truth of God's word to go into your life. Like we just want to, we want to be on guard against it. That there, to think about this for a second, that the living God, the creator God of the universe, loves you in a way that is committed to your well-being. And we want to say, well, well, but, 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 there's got to be something, there's got to be some catch. 
God is committed to you, to loving you in a way that is committed to your well-being. The word here in Hebrew, and we've, actually, we just talked about this word not too long ago when we looked at Proverbs. But this is a really important word. There are some words that are worth it for you to study and think about. And this morning, the word is hesed. That is the word that is used here that says steadfast love. And it's translated a variety of different ways. It's it, from, from mercy to kindness to love. And here's what um, one Old Testament scholar says this. There may, there may be no more significant Old Testament description of how God relates to his people than the Hebrew word hesed. He says, I argue that the best translation of this word would be loyal love. That God loves you genuinely, loyally, and wants what's best for you. That's, that's the nature of God. That's what he's like. The Hebrew word hesed, uh, some more explanation says this, that it's a loyal, unwavering covenant love. It's a love that expects nothing in return, even reckless in its administration. Have you experienced this love from God? Are you allowing, are you allowing God to love you this way? The New Testament version of that word is agapeo, which maybe you're familiar with, which says this, the highest form of love, not a feeling, not an external attraction, but deep within the nature of God that sacrificially seeks the highest good. The opposite maybe is the word lust. Lust wants to take, love wants to give. Love gives at great cost. The greatest love is to love someone that's not lovable, that's not pleasant. I heard a story this week about a pastor counseling um, a, a man, and, uh, and he wanted to separate from his wife. And the pastor said to him, listen, you shouldn't do that. You are commanded in the Bible to love your wife. And he said, oh, okay, I just don't like her at all. <laughs> and he said, well... There's a place next door that's vacant for rent. I'm going to move next door, separate. And the pastor said to him, according to the Gospels, Jesus teaches us where to love our neighbors. Still have to love your wife. He said, oh. he said, you have no idea what this woman's like. And the pastor said, well, she, she bothering you a little bit? She irritates you? You have no idea. And the pastor said, Jesus also teaches you are to love your enemies. It's inescapable, right? It's inescapable. We are called to love, not based on our own understanding, not based on our own human effort, but because God's nature is that he is loving, that he is committed to the greatest good, that he is committed to your well-being. We can all understand loving something that's beautiful, we can all love, understand loving something that's acceptable, but hesed, agapeo, is love that's committed to the unlovable, to the unattractive, to the unacceptable, to those who are disdained. So just for a few minutes this morning, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll break up God's love for us by thinking about it this way. Number one, the structure of God's love the structure of God's love, the announcement of God's love, 
and then the application of it. And I'll, I'll move through these fairly quickly. So number one is the structure of God's love. And here's, here's how love can be like, it can be a frustrating, almost nonsensical, doesn't make sense to us if you don't understand the structure of God's love. And the structure of God's love is this, that, that if you're going to be genuine about your approach to the Bible, you have to understand three really important things. Number one is, is creation, that God created the world as good. He created it as beautiful. That God loves the material world. That, that God delights in the fact that we enjoy the mountains, we enjoy playing in the ocean, that he delights in the material creation of the world. That it's good. That we were never intended to die. It's amazing if you think about that, that God's original creation of the world was good. He says that in Genesis over and over and over again. That it's a beautiful creation. That's number one. Number two, the second thing you must understand is the fall of man, that sin entered the world. So God creates, and it's good, it's beautiful, it's perfect. Number two, you must understand, sin enters the world and has a devastating effect on creation. It, in fact, it's this. It's worse than we ever imagined, the effect of sin. It not only scars the created earth, it scars our relationship with God. It scars our relationship with each other. But there is something tragically wrong with our world, that it's deeply affected by sin. And so the Bible is, the Bible is genuine. It's, it's realistic about the world we live in. Because what happens is if you don't see through this grid, through this framework, you would say something like this. How in the world can God be a loving God and allow this evil, horrible stuff to happen in the world? God can't be loving. It makes no sense to me. What you have to understand is the Bible is very clear and teaches us that the world is seriously messed up. It's seriously flawed. And all you have to do, man, it, it, just, it gets to the point where you don't even want to turn on the news. Think about our country and the, the depth of problems of whether it's racism, our human sexuality, our politics, our war. There's so many complex things that are negative, that are hurtful things. Just like the time of Jeremiah. So the Bible is very clear that creation was good, that man chose sin, and God abhors sin. And number three, the last part you need to understand is the idea of redemption. That God is breaking into the world, stepping back into the world to redeem what's broken. And the ultimate picture of that is Jesus Christ, that God gives his son to redeem this world, to bring healing to this world. And that is our mission. If you want to understand the mission of your life, our church, it is to bring healing and to bring restoration through the power of the gospel, through Jesus Christ. And so if you want to understand God's love, you have to see it through that grid. You have to understand that that's how the Bible understands God's love. Let me, let me show you this through the book of Psalms. And this is where um, the framework of God's love also shows us the different dimensions of God. And here, listen, we, we always want to simplify God. We either want to make him be our, our buddy, we want to make him be king. Depending on what we're feeling like, 
We always want to simplify God to make him fit what's best for us at that particular time. And the Bible says this, that God is complex, that there are dimensions to his love, to his nature. And if you have your Bible, let me just show you this really quickly. This is Psalms 107. And I will, I'm just going to read parts of it, but it's, it's fascinating as it helps us understand what God is like. Here's what it says, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Here's that word again, hesed. For his steadfast love endures forever. So the psalm starts out saying that God is a hesed God. His love is committed to your well-being. And then it identifies different groups of people. Group number one is this. These are the wanderers. We all know people like this that are spiritual seekers that are wandering. And it says this, verse 4. Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. So the description is of wandering people who are tired, that are searching for life, searching for God. And then it says this, verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So people who are seeking, wandering in life, we all know people like this. The Bible does too, and it describes God here now as somebody offering his love to them as they cry out of their trouble. Skipping down to verse 10, it says this. <clears throat> Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they rebelled against the words of God. And this is a part of God's love now where God is functioning as king, where they are, they are in prison. They are behind bars. They are in the shadow of death. Why? Because they rebelled against God. They lost sight that God, while he is our father, the Bible describes, he is also a king. And so this adds clarity. God is not always just um, our buddy. It's just not our friend. But then here's what it says about them. It says, they spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he, he bowed their hearts with hard labor. He spurned them. And here's what it says, verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That is the hesed of God. Different people groups, wander, seekers, some in rebellion, but both are offered his love. One last group. Verse 17, Psalms 107. Some were fools through their sinful ways. This is Jeremiah again, people who think of themselves as wise. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction, and they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That is the love of God. Different groups of people approaching life differently, understand that God's love also allows for discipline that he might bring a time of discipline into your life for your well-being. If you're going down a path that is self-destructive, bring something into your life to show you his love. <clears throat> Turn to uh, John for just a second, 1 John, and we'll see this. That this is, <clears throat> this is the nature of God. It says this, just very briefly, it says, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. 
that that is his nature, that every aspect of his nature is connected to his love. That's who he is. That's his, his core aspect of his nature. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, let's look at the announcement of God's life. So that is the structure of God's love. The announcement of God's love is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. John is announcing something here, and the, this, the translation that I have um, isn't quite as clear. Some translations will say this. It'll say, behold. Um, the idea see or behold is it's this. Stop and think. It's to grab your attention. It's the idea that here is an announcement. Here's what God is like. Some translations have the idea that God lavishes his love upon us. John is announcing that we can have a personal relationship with God. And he draw, he's drawing a distinction here between knowing about God and actually knowing God. And that's a subtle but significant difference. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. The word lavish here is an interesting word. In the King James Version, it's the word bestow. And it, it's, it's, it's odd. It, it's the idea of this. We don't think about... Um, you don't say to your children, um, I bestow my love to you. I gift my love to you. In fact, there's only really one time maybe in, in culture today where you do that, and that would be in a marriage ceremony, where you are standing before your family and friends, and you say to your spouse that I'm bestowing my love to you, that I'm gifting my love to you. And it's not just a love that's an emotion. It's a life-changing, permanent love. John is announcing that there's a specific type of love that he has for you. It says this, and he goes on to describe it further, that he's given us an identity. Here's the identification of the love, that we should be called the children of God. And then he repeats and says, and so we are. God puts within us a new heart, a new nature, that we belong to God our Father. And what's happening here, and it, it can be hard to pick up in the English translation, but what John is doing here is he is saying, he's making this announcement that's coming out of every part of his body. That it's impacted his will, his mind, his heart, his emotions. He's, um, he's, he's on the verge of being a cheerleader. And with his ecstatic enthusiasm, that that is who God is, that that is the nature of God, that that's how excited he is, that it has that kind of power to create within him an emotion. He's asking us to stop for a moment and to see, behold, to think about this, that the main attribute of God is his steadfast love for you, his agapeo, that his best interests that your best interests are in mind. When that truth begins to affect your life, when it begins to change and go throughout your body, you can start thing, thinking things like this. How can I worry about that? If I know that the God of the Bible, the God of creation, loves me and is unconditionally committed to my well-being, how can I worry about this? Why should I get angry over this if this is the God who loves me? How can I live in fear 
How can I allow fear to control and dominate my life when the God of the universe is committed to your personal well-being? When the truth, when that truth begins to wreck your life, when it makes you become unstable, when it's something new and something so fresh that it causes you to think and change and impact the way you live, you're beginning to understand what John was talking about. Let's finish with this, The Application of God's Love. There is a great book that I encourage you to, to check out sometime. It's been around for a long time. I, I think I bought my first copy uh, when I was in college, it's, and it's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And at the end of his chapter on God's love, he writes this. He, he talks about the application of God's love, and, and he says a sentence, and I'm just going to break it down very quickly for us, and I'll finish with this. It says this, God's... God's love is an expression of his goodness. God's love is an expression of his goodness. And in the Bible, goodness is almost always equated to generosity. That's what God is, that he's a generous God, that the affection God feels to you, that he loves you, that the emotions of his heart are stirred because of his love for you, that God finds joy in being generous to you. That he finds delight in being good to you. And again, as I said in the beginning, this can be hard to, to believe that, to allow that to come into your life. That God loves you and is expressing that love through his generosity. That's the first part. The second part is this. Towards individual sinful people. That God's love contains grace and mercy. And again, it goes back to the idea of agapeo, that undeserving people are lavished with God's love. That while God abhors sin, he loves you. And he's generous with his love. And he gave his son for you. So number one, God's love is, a, is an expression of his goodness towards individual sinful people, whereby he identifies himself. And this is the test of genuine love. You see this with a, in, in our, our parent-child relationship. I mentioned this before going through Proverbs. If, if your child is struggling or hurting, they come home from school crying, the genuine love a parent has is to console, is to hold, to be there. And that is the picture of God that he is identifying with each of us. That he knows everything about you. Every hurtful thing that has happened to you in your life, he understands. He identifies with you. The last part is this, or the second to the last part is this. That God, in his expression of his love, he gave his son to be your savior. The measure, think about this. The measure of love is dependent upon how much it gives. The measure of love is how much it gives. And God gave his son. He gave his all. He gave his most cherished relationship. Because, as we said, the fall of man, sin entering the world, created that need. And then last, to know and enjoy him through a covenant relationship. That God, in all of the brokenness in those, of the world, it is hard to understand that God wants to give you joy and peace. That's the kind of love that's available. 
that he wants to show us what, lo that what lo life is like through his love. I'll finish up with this. It says this, 1 John chapter 3, as Scott read, <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, that we are part of his family. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we, we, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know what we will be when he appears. Chapter 4 verse of 1 of, of John says this, In this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, that we have loved God, but that, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is how healing begins to take place. When we first allow the Hesed love of God into your life, the kind of love that's committed to your well-being, and you begin to reflect that in your relationships, when you live that out, when you live out that kind of love, when you love the irritable people, the hard people, you are reflecting Christ. When you're loving spouse, when you are loving your spouse, when they might seem irritable to you, you are showing the Hesed love of the Bible. When you are loving your neighbor, you are showing the agapeo love. when you are showing love to people that you just despise, you just don't like, you are showing the love of Christ. <clears throat> if you want to know what God is like in a world that has so many different opinions, so many different authorities, God is like this, no, God's like this, everyone has strong opinions, we must look to God's Word. And God's Word clearly says this, that He is committed to your well-being, that the truth of His Word is clear that he loves you with a loyal, faithful love and is committed to your well-being. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that there is clarity. Father, I pray for a, a softening of our hearts. Father, I know that when we get wounded or we have hurt, hurt that turns to anger, hurt that turns our hearts to stone, that we just can't accept this anymore, I pray your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, that you would rearrange our lives, that you would bring peace into our lives, knowing how much you love us. Father, I thank you that you love hurting people, that you love flawed people, and that you are committed to our well-being. We love you, and we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.